21 years ago, about three miles away down the street at Good Samaritan Hospital, I was with my beloved bride, and she was in the middle of labor with our very first child. And this woman, who I knew God had put on her heart to have a large family, she always dreamed about that, she looked at me, and with utter clarity and certainty, she looked at me and she said this, as she's pushing, I'm never doing this again. No joke, sweet Becky. Now, husbands, aspiring husbands, take note. The right answer is only two words. Yes, dear. Moments later, same place, little Curran is placed on her chest, and as she's holding Curran, she looks at me, and with utter certainty and clarity, she says, I want ten more. Yes, dear. Same answer. (laughs) True story. And it highlights the ebb and flow of motherhood. Am I right? Uh, that's how, that's how it feels. Listen, I want to say a word to our moms just for a moment. You know, in the kingdom of God, things have a way of enlarging and expanding. So our capacity to love really, really grows as Christ grows in us. Isn't that true? Our capacity to give and serve, and even our capacity to receive from other people enlarges as we walk further with Christ. Our capacity to see the world and see what is enlarges as well. Here's something else that enlarges. The word mom, the title of mom, enlarges and expands in the kingdom of God. And it's because we have an over-generous king. The things that we would even think to ask or imagine, he's able and does bless us with even more than that. I was thinking about our church and what I could say to encourage us as a congregation. And what I love about our church is this. I love that we have all kinds of families represented in this room on any given Sunday. One of the things we're learning as a church is this, that... Shared DNA and matching skin pigment isn't as important as a common savior or our shared humanity, right? Here's another thing I realize is this. We have all kinds of labels that we put on families, right? Uh, we call some people divorced families and broken families and blended families. And what we know about every family in here is we could very rightfully say we are broken families in some degree of repair, That God is just redeeming us. We've all brought our brokenness into our family and then set up a new family and we're trying to work through that. So there isn't first class whole families and second class blended or broken families. We recognize a shared sense of our brokenness and we embrace that because that's when we find grace. That's when we find God working in us and able to receive that. If you look around our church, at any given moment, just by the sheer number of small bodies around, here's what you know. We have some very, very hardworking moms in this place. And I love that and celebrate that. Here's another thing you'll notice if you, if you take careful notice. We have many aspiring moms to be in this place too. God has blessed us with um, just some incredible youth who are not yet married. And they are looking to the moms of the church, the women of faith in our church. Here's another beautiful thing. We have many families that come here. Um, and some, some of them are young couples, recently married. They don't have kids yet. And you know what? They're away from their biological moms. They're away from the moms that raised them. And so they are being mothered by the women of faith in, in this church. And sometimes we get them for six months, sometimes for a couple years, and then they head back home. All kinds of mothering going on here in some different ways. I want to read for you a passage um, out of Matthew 25, and I just want you to catch a picture of something. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about this final judgment. And here's what he says. When the Son of Man comes, Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite words for himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And it goes on to say, the righteous respond, Lord, we don't know when that happened. When did all this happen? And here's his response. He says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I was in Dallas all week for a conference with Foster the Bay, Christian Alliance for Orphans. About 2,000 people gathered um, at, at a church in Dallas, Texas. About 200 organizations represented, all of us there with a heart for caring for vulnerable children and stirring the church to move in some different ways. As I thought about the stories that were put before me and the different difficult darkness that was being just sort of exposed and addressed, it got me thinking about this. If we can all just sort of hit pause on judging any birth mom who would ever reach a point of separation, whether that's willingly giving your child at an orphanage or having a child forcibly taken from your home due to some distress and trauma and illegal activities that might be going on. If we can suspend judgment for a moment, let it be replaced with compassion and think about this, moms. What kind of desperation is there to get to that point on that day of separation? Whether it's being done to you or you're willingly making the choice. It's gut-wrenching, and it's heart-wrenching. And part of why we could attest to this in our church is uh, entering into foster care and giving yourself in a Christ-like way to strangers is dark and difficult and burdensome. But here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about going upstream for a minute, and I want you to think about what I just read, and I want you to think about the fact that the moms being celebrated, thought about, talked about right now in our church are making like a thousand little unspoken and often unnoticed commitments every single day to care for their children in such a way that they are guarding against that day of separation. So here's what I hope that we see. As I kept hearing these stories this week, I kept thinking um, about, about some in this room. And I thought about different moms. And I thought about this reality. That when someone in your home comes to you and says, Mommy, I'm hungry for the 100th time that day. I pray that you will see the face of Christ in that little child. Who else is to feed that child except for you? You're called to feed that child. And you're feeding Christ. As you feed that child in your home. Mommy, I'm thirsty. Take joy in being able to answer the call of meeting that need. As hard as that is sometimes. Take joy in it. Mommy, I can't find my undies. Right? As you clothe this child. Who else is going to clothe this child but you? As you clothe this child again. These are the thousand unspoken commitments that you do over and over and over. And hear me, moms. It matters. It matters immensely what you're doing even if it feels like for the hundredth time that day. Mommy, I'm scared. Every comforting word, every soothing gesture of wrapping your arms around this child is comforting Christ. And I hope you see that. I hope you see that that's an important work. We're going to hear from some incredible people that are doing some incredible things, and we ought to take notice. We ought to celebrate sort of the, you know, the outliers. But here's what I want you to notice. Your everyday life of you continuing uh, to care for, for, for your kids matters immensely. Let me speak really quickly to those who have kids who are outside of your home. There are some here every week um, that probably see bright-eyed and bushy-tailed parents Maybe we're not so bushy-tailed. We're tired. But maybe you look at younger families, younger parents, maybe even with some longing and regret. Maybe your family story hasn't turned out quite the way you wanted. Here's what I know. I know that we have parents of prodigals. We have uh, parents of the rebels. We have parents of the rehabs. We have parents of the distant that sit and worship in our church every single Sunday. And let me say this to you. 
let me encourage you, let me fan the flame to continue to prayerfully pursue and love your child. That you would see the face of Christ in the one who is increasingly becoming a stranger to you and not through your own choice. That you would continue to reach out and welcome in the prodigal as Christ reached out and welcomes us into the family. Here's what I want you to hear. Do not give up hope. God is the God of miracles. Amen? We are living, walking trophies of his grace. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to have the moms, grandmoms uh, to stand right now. We have a little gift for you and remain standing. Uh, That would mean right now. Go ahead and stand up. Uh, Remain standing. And I just want to pray for you uh, as we begin our morning. Go ahead and start passing out right now, guys. We have a very efficient, wonderful crew. And as you receive this candle, um, what I want you to do is this. I want you to have this candle and I want you to see this little flickering light and let it be a little light of truth for you that what I'm doing matters. That what I'm doing to the least of these in my home for the 1000th time matters and that you would recognize and spot the face of Christ in those faces. We are able to multitask, and God is able to hear with kid movement. I'm walking testimony of that in my home all the time. So I'm going to pray even as we continue to pass out candles. Let's pray for these moms. God, we are so thankful for moms. And God, I pray that right now you would uplift the spirit of each one standing. I pray that you would be the place that shines in their brokenness, in their hurt, in their fear. I pray, God, that as they rejoice in the joy of what it means to be a mom, God, that you would fan into flame who you've made them to be, that they would display Christ-like mothering care to their children. God, I thank you for the increased and enlarging view of motherhood that goes on in the kingdom of God. I thank you, God, that people are being mothered that never go through a legal process. They just attach themselves to loving older women because that's the kind of character they have. God, I pray that for those of us who are not moms, that we would receive the love, the affection, the instruction, the example of moms. God, I pray for aspiring moms and those who would long to be moms, God, that you would meet them there. That is a noble goal. That is a good thing to aspire to. We thank you for fulfilling our dreams. We thank you for guiding our steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'm uh, Sharon Adam, and I'm representing the GO team this morning, which is our NBC Global Outreach. We not only um, do global, but we do local as well. We're a group of NBC members that meet the third Sunday of every month, and we're responsible for um, deciding which missionaries we want to support with the money that NBC has given. NBC is pretty amazing. With our general fund, we give between 8 and 9% of it to local and global missionaries. Um, our goal is to make that 10%, and then who knows where God's going to take that. Maybe it'll be 50% someday. But we have, if you look at the inside of your bulletin, on this, this side here, actually the whole thing, we have listed all the missionaries, local and global, that we, that we currently support as a church. Um, and so when you give to the general fund, the GO team or the global outreach team um, then decides which, which part of that 8% goes to these different missionaries. Um, and there's websites and such there that we can, um, you can take a look at to, if you want to have a little more information about our missionaries. I want to highlight, too, um, up-and-coming, I guess, missionaries that we're hoping to support in this next uh, year. The first one is um, Sarah Kane, and she is a, a young woman who grew up in Thailand. We currently support her parents, um, and they travel back and forth between the states and Thailand doing various conferences. But Sarah had a love for the, the children and the people of um, Thailand, and she has taken a job with an organization called Remember New. They rescue young children before their families feel the need to um, to give them up to trafficking or other um, just bad things that happen to children in um, in other parts of the world. And so they're rescuing these children before they would get put into a bad situation. They have them in various homes throughout Thailand with Christian house moms. 
and um, and they provide schooling for them. They provide job training for them. And it's just pretty amazing because they're rescuing them before they have the traumatic event in their life. Um, Sarah is currently transferring from being a house mom to being a trainer. She's been home in the States for about 10 months and was actually able to do the same training that many of us at NBC did a few weeks ago with Empowered to Connect. So she's learned this new relationship training that she will then go and train the house moms with how to have a deeper understanding and relationship with the children in the homes. Because of that, she's going to need new housing, and she also is going to need more financial support. So that's where we're hoping to come in, where we can support her financially. And her prayer requests, I listed them there. Um, she heads back to Thailand at the end of the month. She, um, oh, that's the other thing. Uh, so the government came in and closed a bunch of their houses. They, she really feels like this is a spiritual attack on their organization. They came up with little minute reasons of why they weren't safe or they weren't under government regulation. So they've had to take most of the girls to one area of Thailand and have them kind of packed into one or two of the homes that were considered um, okay with the government. And uh, she, she just really has been praying diligently that they can reopen back up the other homes. Um, so that's the other one. And then to God to supply her housing and her finances. So we can be praying for Sarah in that. We're hoping, again, as I said, as a go team, to take her on and be able to support her um, financially. Uh, the second missionary that is up and coming that I want to, um, to introduce to you is Megan Routon. Many of you know Megan. She has um, been here at NBC. She's one of our junior high leaders. And um, she has had, uh, she also, only 18, is, this is her mother. This is not Megan. No. Yeah, she just, she not just. 18. <laughs> I know, oh, to be 18 again. Um, but she's graduating in June, and she's heading down to Grace Children's Home in Mexico to do a gap year or a, a year of missionary service to um to the children in Mexico. So Megan was very sick this morning, throwing up. We don't know if it's the flu or what. So I asked her mother to come quickly. Can you get here? Um, and, and so she's going to share a little bit about what Megan's going to do in the next year. So Megan's very heartbroken. She was very excited to be up here um, and share about what she's going to be doing. So I apologize that she's not here. Um, Megan got, our, our family became involved. Excuse me. <laughs> Our family became involved with Grace Children's Home about six years ago when we went down with NBC. Um, and from that very first trip, Megan came to me and said, hey, they have interns here. This is something I might want to do. And, you know, we thought, okay, okay. You know, she was young and, you know, you just, they're never going to grow up, right? Um, so we kind of, okay, that's, that sounds like a good plan. And so she went and talked with Alicia Stratton at the time and kind of, hey, what do they do? And, um, and that is something that has not left her. Every trip we've made, every time we've been involved, and since then, many of you know our family has become very involved with Grace Children's Home. Our family has grown through Grace Children's Home. Um, and we've been down very regularly, um, actually four times in the last year. So it's very much a part of our life, and this desire has just stayed with Megan. Um, and so it is something that she's very excited to do. She'll be going down as an intern with their baby's home, they have um, a home that is for children that are older. They're about four up through 18. Um, they have a baby's home that is anywhere from pretty much newborn um, up through about four to five years old, depending on, you know, developmentally where they're at. And then they also have a transitional home, a university home for once they graduate, the older kids that are going to college can stay. Um, so she'll be working in the baby's home. Their primary goal and the primary thing she'll be doing is helping them bond. All of these babies come out of some sort of trauma, whether it's even newborns. Um, usually there's drug exposure, alcohol exposure, or something. I mean, they've been removed from their homes for obviously what has to be dire, hard, devastating circumstances. And so she'll be working with them, and their goal is to help the babies bond um, so that they are ready to be adopted and that they can move into families um, and become adopted. So it's 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 wonderful in that you're loving babies, but it's difficult because you're looking at each of their stories and you're helping them even at a very young age overcome trauma and then be ready to go and to leave. Um, and so it's it's something she's excited about. Um, it's going to be hard work. Um, she's going to be very much on her own. She's you know a typical teenager here. She has friends and a life and all kinds of things going on. Um, and she's going down to Mexico. She knows a little bit of the language, but not a lot of the language. I think she'll come back knowing a lot more than she does now, obviously. Um, and, you know, she's doing this work on her own. So she's very much praying for finances um, to help her do this. She's praying for a transition. 
Um, this is a big change in her life, um, big change for her emotionally, big change physically, obviously moving to another country, um, big change socially, just doing something completely different at a time in her life when you're kind of transitioning, if you all remember, graduating from high school and moving on. It's a big time anyway. Um, so prayer for that. And we just pray that it would be a good experience for her. Um, as a family, we're praying that she comes back in a year, um, doesn't decide to make this permanent, at least not yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what Megan's going to be doing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. And be praying Megan will feel better. She's got a few more weeks of school. <laughs> She's got to graduate. Um, so I'm going to pray now for Sarah, for Megan, and just pray for our offering as we just have this amazing opportunity to give as, um, as God has just blessed us so much here and be able to give to help uh, Sarah and Megan and all the other missionaries that we support at, at NBC. Uh, in 1998, I was a brand new youth pastor at a church in Cupertino, and there was a young lady in the middle school group who ended up in my wife's small group, and she was an amazing mixture of uh, just being utterly sweet and a complete fireball, kind of all wrapped up in one person, um, and uh, she ended up, it turns out, Cheryl's right, kids do grow up. Uh, it turns out that uh, several years later, she, um, she met a wonderful young man uh, named Ryan, and I got to be a part of their wedding ceremony, and um, man, I still remember that day like it was yesterday, and then somehow that turns into uh, a little child named Hope, who is seven years old, a little child named Mercy, who's six, and Justice, who is age three. Let me tell you one little snippet about Amanda, then I'm going to turn it over to them. Um, I can remember very clearly when Amanda was in high school and we were doing, um, we were doing an event on Thursday nights that was very specifically targeted for Homestead High School, Fremont High School, um, and, and, uh, and kind of, you know, some of the surrounding schools of kids who don't know Christ. And it was very much an outreach night. And I remember Amanda, you know, not feeling the need to go, um, because it didn't feed her. And I, I remember challenging, I don't know if she remembers this, but I remember saying, Amanda, what I need from you, you're already saved, you're already on fire for Jesus, you already know you want to live for for God the rest of your life. I need you to come and sit at a table with non-Christians that you don't regularly get to interact with, and I need you to be a witness at that. And something clicked in her where she totally got it. This wasn't for her to be fed, this was for her to be on mission and and live in that setting. And uh, And she was an important part of that season of our high school ministry. And it was so cool to see at a young age, middle school, high school, to see the outworkings of seeds God already had planted in her life and to see really who who she has been all these years. And uh, so I don't want to steal anything more from them. Um, are all of you coming up right now or just Ryan right now? Okay. All of you? Give it up for the Burlsons. This is a missionary family. Uh, it's a treat to get them. Because they are on a whirlwind tour while they're back here in the States. A lot of churches want to have them, and they're spending the whole morning with us, which we are just utterly thrilled about. So here they are. Come on up, guys. Good morning, NBC. This is Hope. Hope's seven. This is Mercy. She's six. And this is Justice. He's three. And uh, we're just grateful to be here. Um, Yeah, we just... You know, it's it. I've been telling people it's one thing when people support you for, you know, a year, but you guys have been behind us for seven years, and it's just, it really does like. And I say this from bottom of my heart, it really is touching, uh, and speaks of love and just the support you guys give to us and the encouragement and the way you guys just come behind us, and uh, it allows us to be free to do what what God's put on our hearts to do, and so. Yeah, we just want to say thank you to start out. Yeah, I'll let these guys go so they don't... Yeah, one time I was up here and they were behind me and I'm not sure if people were listening to me or watching my kids. And so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I say that too because being on this journey is is uh, not easy. You know, last time we were here, we were uh, coming out of Zimbabwe and uh, we were promised we could go back, and we never got back in. And it was like, wow, what, what are you doing, God, you know? Like, I had just started stuff. Um, let's see if we got this. Okay. Yeah, I just started projects, uh, loved the people, and was just kind of like, 
wow, what, what is God doing? And then we were, uh, Amanda was pregnant with our third, and um, she went into labor early, and uh, that was kind of the bright spot of this season. We got stuck here, and uh, our baby Joy was born encephalic, and died 14 minutes later. And it was just like, what is going on? In some weird way, you knew, you know, God was was there with you, but, uh, you know, it wasn't easy. And um, so then we decided to go to Mozambique, the neighboring country. And while we went out to Portugal to learn language, we started struggling with our second daughter, Mercy, and didn't know what was going on. And it was just like one thing after another. And uh, she finally got tubes uh, because she wasn't hearing. And we thought, okay, this is the answer. And when we arrived in Mozambique, we realized Mercy's still not hearing. And we made a trip down to South Africa, and they said, no, she's not hearing. And um, she needed to get hearing aids. And um, they said, let's give it a year in Mozambique. Um, But there really was no resources there uh, to help Mercy. And so it was one thing after another this last year, Right before we moved from Mozambique, because we're in South Africa now, uh, got a call and my dad diagnosed with cancer. Four tumors in the brain. And so, and then seven months later, um, he passed away. And so, you know, it's just crazy what can happen to you when you step out for God and the way you think, you know, he's going to come through for you. But I can truly say at the end of this that God is good and God had a bigger plan for us than, than I had for myself. I, I, God has blown my mind through all this crushing. Um, his plan has been bigger. His dream was bigger for me than, than I had for myself. And I can truly say he's good. He's good. We've seen his goodness. Um, and... Uh, We've seen him, like Dave mentioned earlier, this whole enlarging of, of a vision, you know? He does that, and um, we don't like the way he does it, but he's got his own way of, of really manifesting his goodness in your life and deepening you, shaping you. And I can also say that Jesus is worthy. Uh, you know, a lot of my journey before missions, I chose to say... I'm going to lose this, you know, myself. I'm going to, you know, put this aside, uh, put this behind me. And it was mostly my choice. And then God came and started using things to help me lose, you know, and, uh, so that I could gain him in new ways. And um, I can truly say that I've gained, and, and, and I hope that for everyone, but I don't hope that now, say, uh, you know, Imagining the pain that sometimes you have to go through to gain certain uh, just revelations of God, mysteries of God and stuff, it, it, it truly can be very painful, but I can tell you that Jesus is worthy. The, the, the pleasure I have in God, the things I've experienced of him through all this is just absolutely incredible. This is Nairobi in February 2017. Um, yeah, the Hintons know, know, <laughs> know about Nairobi. Um, this, I, I work with a group called Accelerate, and it's a network of leaders who want to see the gospel move. And uh, here in Nairobi, we had leaders from 14 nations in Africa, 20, uh, <clears throat> 20 organizations, 34 people who all came together who said, yeah, we want to see the gospel move. And um, we had a guy come out from, he's actually the, used to be the chief intel strategist uh, to help us come up with a vision for the Africans. And so here's a bunch of mess on this board here, but this is essentially what it says, is uh, the Africans came up with a vision to reach a tipping point of uh, disciple-making movements by 2020 with these eight strategic points. Uh, intentional development of catalytic leaders. And uh, this is a real move from just 
going out with a program, training people, to actually really mentoring them to success and seeing movements happen. Uh, second point is, is uh, commitment to model prayer. We've seen that uh, the one thing that's difficult in movements is you cannot make a movement happen. It's, it's only God that causes movements. And so the, one, the, the real tool we have is prayer. And um, recently we just, we just started gathering with some of the guys we have down in South Africa. And I'm, I'm telling you, things were rough until we started prayer. All of a sudden we started praying. God just started opening doors we weren't even looking for. Um, engaging unreached people groups in major urban cities. There's, right now there's 990 unreached people groups still in Africa. So there's a commitment to engage these. And, um, and then major urban cities. Most movements worldwide have, have reached into urban or rural settings. And most of that's because uh, rural settings are very monocultural. So when you get into the urban, people start gathering in different affinities, uh, social classes. And so it's it, much more difficult to reach. And so we're trying to crack the, the urban code as well. Catalyzing fourth generation movements with leaders from the harvest. So we want to see people who are lost actually now going and starting movements that reach to the fourth generation. <clears throat> um, empowering women and youth leader. What We see a trend with movements uh, amongst the outcasts. And one of, the way the Africans defined this was women and youth. They're sort of the outcasts of society in Africa. Um, inclusion of North Africa, the only representative we didn't have at this meeting were people from North Africa. And so we've still yet to engage there, and that's where most of uh, Islam is. And then emerging movements in the public and private sectors. And um, we have a couple people that we're reaching in South Africa that are within these areas, but we need to reach into the business, into the politics you know, it's, it's amazing how evangelized Africa is and how little effect it has on the culture. And we're realizing it, it's, a, a lot of it's because business people aren't involved, politicians aren't involved, so reaching into these, these sectors is going to change things. And uh, increase, increasing effective use of African resources. We're, we're tired of just always saying the only way we can get stuff accomplished is from outside funds here. And um, I'm going to share some stories of guys where we're working on this with. This is Sibu. He uh, used to be uh, the most wanted gangster in Cape Town. He had become, uh, he was eventually put in isolation in the prisons. And uh, because he was so, he said, he said when he used to walk into the prisons, other guys would, would have to put their head down. Because he says, my demon was bigger than theirs. And eventually, uh, he was the top gangster within the prisons. And the only way they could control this guy was to uh, put him in isolation. He built, he, he, he's told me stories how he built a relationship with a bird and a cockroach. I mean, it just broke this guy. And when he got out of prison, he started to, uh, had some people that reached out to him that he saw really loved Jesus, weren't, didn't, weren't just talking about it, because he was really sensitive to people. And um, he said he started discovering that Jesus sent out people two by two. And he goes, that's exactly what we did in the gang. So I understood Jesus' strategy, except he did it for positive things. And I was doing it for negative. And so Sibu goes back and starts a movement in the prisons with uh, ex-prisoners. And I met Sibu this last year and because he was hired up at the University of Pretoria to design an anti-crime system because there's the most car hijackings in the country at this university. And so my coworker and I started sitting with Sibu and he was told he couldn't speak of Christ, but he was discipling all these car guards sort of underground. And <clears throat> at the end of the year, he touched about, according to his real main disciple, 150 lives with these guys. And at one point, he was sitting before judges, and as they were evaluating uh, guys giving their master's thesis on an anti-crime system, and Sibu's sitting in the room. He has no degree, nothing. And they asked Sibu, what do you think about all these systems these guys are creating? 
And he goes, none of them are going to work unless you start, get, you start getting people to Jesus. And he started unloading stories of prisoners' lives that, you know, were transformed by Christ. And so this, this is one of the guys we get to work with, and it's just, it's just fun. This is Michael, who he baptized. He was his main disciple. He's now investing in two other guys in a community nearby where we live in, in planting gardens. Um, I did not teach Cebu how to baptize there. That's the choke prisoner hold there. As you, <laughs> <he's done. laughs> This is a community named Flower. Uh, it's a complete desert. And this, there was a pastor named Johan Jordan, and he had been wanting to learn about disciple-making movements for three years. I mean, this guy was so hungry. And uh, we went out there with a team and facilitated a training with these guys, and they've completely changed the way they do church. I mean, he's, he's got a team of leaders now. They're reaching into the farming community out there, and 26, they have access to 26 schools that the schools have come to them and said, please come and bring discipleship to our kids. And um, it's just incredible what God has done and what, what he does when, you know, somebody says yes to, you know, making disciples. This is a Attridgeville. Uh, Attridgeville is a, a township right outside of Pretoria. And... Uh, there was disciple-making training brought to this church a few years back, and a, a team of young people emerged from here. This is uh, Tendu in Africa, who are in this photo. And Africa said he was just blown away because he had always been taught to preach and teach, and he started just helping people discover the Word of God. And he said he was just blown away. People, what, what was just happened when people read the Bible for themselves? And he saw miracles happening. People you know, saying, I'm just going to stop smoking, you know, or I'm going to stop this, or, you know, this is what I think I need to do. And he said he was just so humble because he didn't have to say anything. He was just watching God speak to these people as he helped them open the scriptures. And, he, and God even humbled him more. He brought this guy to uh, Africa who couldn't read. And he had been watching what was happening in these groups. And he says, hey, I want you to come and help me do this with my friends. And Africa was thinking, no, this, this guy can't even read. How are we, how we going to do this? So he, he goes there and he goes, oh, you know, I just said, okay, I'm going to go do this. And um, this guy, after two times in the scriptures going through this, learned how to read. And he was quite a guy who had quite an influence. And he, in Africa said he started reaching into really influential people's lives that he said we would have never been able to reach. And so his story is just, you know, being completely humbled by God, seeing that there was just, I mean, it was so simple what he had to do, helping people discover God, and, um, and just seeing what God can do through that, just helping people read the Bible for themselves. This is DZ. DZ is a Zionist bishop, and... Um, I don't, I don't, you guys probably haven't heard about Zionism, but it was planted by a missionary uh, a while back, and then the, the missionaries left, and this movement took on a life of its own and became very mixed with the animism in Africa and um, didn't no longer open the scriptures. And uh, DZ got trained in disciple making a few years back, and uh, he started implementing and um, actually planted a hundred churches on foot before they got behind this guy. And what he tells people is this is pure Zionism. So because his his he's he's flipping this movement from the inside out. So he looks they look different because they're actually getting into the scriptures. They're very radical, and so he tells his people this is pure Zionism. Uh, this is what it really is. And uh, recently we were out with him just just helping him start to think about how he could serve his community in different ways because he lives with like acres and acres of land out there. And this guy is so humbled that when we started talking about this and we started talking about the full gospel, you know, not just getting people into the kingdom of God, but 
actually helping people with, with what they already have. He sat there and he just said, I need to repent. You know, I, I've been missing this. I've got all this land here and I'm, I'm not serving my community like I could, empowering the community like I could. And um, he's just so humble. And he's, he likes boxing as well. We were out there with Cebu. And we asked Cebu, Cebu, would you like to, uh, you know, box DZ? And he goes, look at that guy's fist, man. There's no way. So we got the ex-gangster who he won't even fight <laughs> DZ. This is Munya. He's probably my best friend in Africa. He's, he's Zimbabwean. Up in Vic Falls, he grew up quite an evangelist. He used to preach on the buses. And then he learned how he could, he could help other people uh, start reading the scriptures, start sharing it with others. And he went back to Vic Falls, and uh, he started building relationships with guys on the streets. And he, after about a year of just loving these guys, serving them, he invited them into his home, and he says, I want to start a movement with you guys. Now, the opposition party in Zimbabwe is called Movement for Democratic Change. So they first said, what are you talking about? We're, we don't want to get involved in politics. You know, that's that's like, you know... Uh, that's not going to be good for us. So he said, no, no, no. I'm talking about a movement of taking church to people. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we don't want to have anything to do with church. We're the, we're the rejects of church. And um, he said, no, no, no. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about taking church to people. And he says, you, you hang out with this group over here. And you hang out with this group over here. I can help you show your network how to discover God. And so they started doing this. And uh, it started booming, and there's, there's around 1,500 uh, churches now. They meet once a month as a bigger gathering, 830 leaders, seven years in. And uh, prostitutes are coming off the street. Police are getting involved because of the fact that they're going, what are you doing with the prostitutes? We don't, we don't have to patrol the streets anymore. Uh, politicians are involved. He disciples uh, caddies on the golf course. Um, so it's just it, it, wonderful. Now he's discipling young entrepreneurs. And instead of getting people coming in and investing money and stuff, he's helping them do what they do just better. Saying this is how you can have a, a, a business, you know, with Christ as king. And so, him with our family. I, he also is a golfer. And uh, he got a hole in one <laughs> here. This is a Paramount Chief Francis, not Chief Francis, Paramount Chief Francis. He is, <laughs> I, I don't know where they get these titles, <laughs> but uh, he is actually the elected, he has this elected position for all the royal families in Africa. He's of Nigerian descent, so he, we, we got connected to this guy through somebody else because he, he has a heart for the gospel but he has access to all these kings and these uh, heads of these tribes and stuff. So he, he brought us in and he said, hey, I can open the doors and you guys can come in and train. And we were thinking, no, we want to equip you. you know, so he was speaking of, of this, the king of Swaziland and his daughter who chased him down recently saying, hey, I'm, I want, I'm interested in the Bible, but my, my dad, who's a king over here, won't allow us to so we were helping him show how he can go back there and help her discover God in the scriptures. And that's, that's what he's done recently. But um, he says many of these royal families, they can't go to church. Because what they do is when these royal families come into church, they put them up on a, a, the platform. And he said some of them, my, my experience is they always love that. But he says a lot of them don't like that. And so what happens is they're kinda, they kind of don't know how to connect to God. And so he has access to all these royal families that he can bring, bring the gospel to. This is Ethiopia. Uh, we were just there recently. And um, Abram, who's in this picture, is from... Uh, he has a vision for the whole country. And... Um, <clears throat> We were there just meeting with his leaders, just hearing from them. And um, they're reaching into Eritrean refugees, neighboring country, Muslims. 
There's movement happening through the Protestant church there and also also the Ethiopian Orthodox church. And um, it's just incredible. But they don't work as team. And that's one of our main thrusts was, is helping these guys build teams. And it was amazing as we sat there and just heard different people's problems. And then asked them, what are there any answers in the room? And by the end of this this three days, these guys were answering each other's problems and finding solutions for each other. And Abram said at the end of this time, he said, man, I, my one takeaway of this is this is a lot simpler than I thought, you know? Um, and But it's just incredible what what these guys are doing and how many different sort of people they're reaching into. He's actually training Muslim uh, or Ethiopian women in also uh, UAE to reach into the Muslim community there. So <clears throat> these are the two guys I trained in Mozambique, Aniva and Jeffrey. And uh, until about four months ago, I thought I'd failed really in my time in Mozambique. And uh, while we were in Ethiopia, we were praying through, how can we help these guys take the next step, you know? And um, we brought them down to South Africa and exposed them to a movement in South Africa. And they finally got to see all the stuff we talked about. And now Jeffrey's gone back, and he's got three teams now of guys who have groups with with lost people. And um, Aniva just trained a church recently in disciple making. And so while I'm here, I'm actually getting reports from these guys of what's happening. And it's just been so encouraging to me because while I was there, I thought, man, did I change anything here? Um, and, and now I'm seeing things happening. And, and these guys are changing culture there. I mean, the church is so messed up in Mozambique. It's, it's so, I mean, it's messed up everywhere, but in Mozambique... I, it's almost like, what is this church, you know? Um, there's so much infighting, there's jealousy. And Neva, uh, when he went to our Bible college, just that alone he started getting persecuted for because he was perceived as somebody who actually wanted to be a leader. And so that's the sort of like, this is the sort of difficulties these guys face with tradition and, and different things there. So... So this is really how we're serving this, uh, is, is we're, we're developing five teams and five strategic locations, East, West, South, North Africa, and, uh, and Central. And we're focusing on healthy leadership and then financial solutions. Um, we've seen disciple-making happening in Africa for a while, but it, for some reason it doesn't address these two issues of, of healthy leadership. For example, Abraham in Ethiopia, he was, his wife was working 16 hours a day to support him running all over the country training people. And we're just saying there's got to be a better way than that. that. That's not God's way, you know, with, with your marriage, with your family. And um, so that, that's just a small piece of that. The, the financial solutions, we want to see uh, there's a lot of resources in Africa. Um, and so we don't want to see just easy solutions develop by just getting money uh, to empower these guys. We want to start challenging the way they think about resources, start challenging what they're actually doing to accomplish the ministry. We have so many guys that say, I can make disciples if I had more money. And we're asking them, is that really, you know, do, do you think that's God's, you know, what do you think God thinks about that? You know? Um, we're, we're going, don't we have the same God in Africa that we have in America? You know, so why can't we break this hurdle and stuff? And so we want to bring these guys together and start tabling discussions like this. How can we break through this, this challenge? And so those are, those are some of the key things we're doing and uh, creating adaptive learning environments where guys can learn from each other because Munia's got answers that other, other leaders don't. And so bringing these guys together, we can accelerate learning so that we can see the gospel move. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're up to. 
uh, want to thank you guys again, and we have lots to share afterwards. You can come up to our table, and um, yeah. Kind of an intense video there that we get to see. But every three years, InterVarsity puts on a conference called Urbana. It is this year in December 27th through the 31st, uh, targeting um, college students and young adults to go and hear speakers from around the world and to challenge them to to follow Christ in whatever he's calling them to do, as he does for each of us. Um, the GO team at NBC has decided to... Um, Pay, to do scholarships for about a third of the cost of the students going to Urbana in December. Um, I was able to go to, to Urbana in uh, 87. I'm dating myself. But um, it was it truly was a life-changing life experience. And um, it's in St. Louis, Missouri. And it's... That's right. We have Missourians over here. Uh, is that it right? Missourians? Okay. Um, and so we're really praying and hoping that we will be able to send a group of students um, in December. Uh, obviously, the planning starts now. And so there is a scholarship application and other information on the NBC website. It's in the bulletin also. If you're a young adult or a college student and are interested in, um, in attending this conference, be sure to check that out. Um, and next, we're going to have Philip come, and he's going to just explain a little bit about the finances and how that works with giving and uh, NBC with the Go Team. Thanks. Yes, so we already took the offering. This is not a plug for money today, but <laughs> uh, it's great to to look into how you spend your money and and what you want to do with it, uh, and. Supporting people around the world is something that's that's uh, surprisingly energizing, including uh, around here and getting to see people you're helping, that kind of stuff. So I want to talk about a few different ways different different people support uh, organizations and individuals around the world. If that's the kind of thing that you'd like more info on, there's a variety of people around that can give uh, pointers, ideas, guidance, uh, give you places you might want to look for those. And uh, it's even cooler when they're people you know. Uh, in person, that, you know, go out and do stuff. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, our general fund also goes towards uh, a bunch of these organizations and individuals. So by giving to NBC, which I also support, uh, <laughs> encourage, uh, a chunk of that uh, is going to these places. And even within the NBC giving, you can also designate stuff. So the, the two things that are listed in here, the Foster the Bay, uh, sorry, not the Foster the Bay, different bay, City Impact, um, and, and Urbana. Those are things that you could, if you were even more passionate about those than some of the rest, say, I would like to give money to NBC and say, I want this to go towards Urbana, supporting whoever's going, uh, college, young adults, and whether even you know some that are going, hey, I want to support that. Uh, or I want to support some of the high schoolers that are going to City Impact for a week. Not by name, just that team, right? I want to support that. You can just write City Impact. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so then the, the, the theme I want to bring up, and feel free to come and ask folks uh, about just general giving mechanics if you've got other questions. This, this doesn't need to be a spur-of-the-moment thing. Uh, this, it's great to, to go and, and come back next week or next month and say, hey, I was, if you had asked, I'd say, you know, sure, I'll toss a dollar in or something like that. That's not, that's not a thought-through uh, gift, right? If you, if you think about it and say, no, actually, this is something I'm really passionate about. I want to save up for this. I want to reallocate how I spend some of my money. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I want to encourage. And uh, this is just one little area that you could do that. <laughs> 